we'll say 250,000, 350,000 level, I just thought was insane. And then when my net worth was going up by that much, I was like, what the hell? This is nuts. Loved it. And certainly I'm still growing. I'm still investing and so should you. That's one of the things that you should get from this. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. It is Adam A. Adams. And as I mentioned, if I don't know if you heard the last episode where we were talking a little bit about realtors, real estate agents, getting licensed or not, investing in real estate, things that could hold you back and things that could propel you as well as hiring coaches and mentors. And yeah, we talked about a few things. It was like 20 minutes and a good valuable lesson. If you didn't hear it, go ahead and go back into it. In this episode today, I want to share with you an experience that I had. So I bought this little portfolio of just a few houses with some partners many, many, many years ago. I ended up buying them out of the partnership just this year. And so this is a portfolio that I've had for a long time, I believe in, I love. And one of my favorite things is that all of the tenants for all three of the properties and the whole neighborhood, to be honest, the entire neighborhood, like people that lived there had been there for 20, 30, or 40 years. Almost everybody had been there for at least 16 years. They were kind of like the original people. And in many cases, 30 or 35 years, half of the block has been there for over 30 years, half of multiple blocks. It's just this small, pocket. Now, technically, the schools in the area are like D-rated, C-minus rated. And I would probably typically steer clear from something that has like a D-rating. Today, as you've heard in previous episodes, there's a few properties in St. Louis that I bought that were in C areas, D areas, and even an F area, all of which I'm like, I wish I never bought. I lost a crazy amount of money off all of these things that I bought in in St. Louis. Not only me, me and my business partners lost a lot of money. And I will say one thing that is important in doing so, I thought it was important that our private lenders always made money. And so even when we could have simply and easily walked away, gave our private lender the property once it lost all of the value, We never did that. We never would do that. And that's a lesson for you, like a small lesson during this episode is so that you understand, look, even though you can do something, even though it would probably ethically and morally and lawfully be be fine, be appropriate, be the the normal course of action, think about other people and think about your reputation like years from now. That stuff always sticks with me. I'm not sure. We could argue if it's ethical or moral, but it's not arguable on the law. Lawfully, we could just walk away. We could walk away and say, take it. (laughs) And we didn't do that. We sold some of these properties for way below what we paid for them in these C, D, and F areas and ended up, I wrote a check to a couple of people for $40,000, $20,000. Like I lost a crazy amount of money when we were selling these, like a personal cash, personal capital that the business didn't own, didn't have the capital because like the business was, anyway, the point is 
the business was losing money, the real estate was losing money. And so it was like a hard decision. And we decided that it would come out of our pockets. In many cases, my Adam Adams's personal pocket and even not my business partner's po- pockets. So like, this isn't something where I'm like, hey, pin a rose on Adam's nose. Look how awesome Adam is. Invest with Adam. Maybe you'll get that. Maybe that's what you'll hear. But really what I'm trying to say is that I want you to think of it that way as well for your longevity of being a real estate investor because it's not going to be just for one deal that you're doing this. You're not going to become rich on one deal. On my first deal, I made like a 12,000% return. I wasn't a millionaire, but I felt rich. I absolutely felt rich. I had more money in the bank than I ever had at one time, but I'm gaining the wealth because of consistency on growing the portfolio over my lifetime. And in some of my years, I felt very, um, very, what's the word for it? Very financially free. Some of my years, I felt very financially free. Certainly not 2020, a couple of years back. Certainly not that year, the year of the pandemic. Certainly not the year of 2009, 10, 11-ish after losing my first property because of a, a downturn in the market. But many other years, during my real estate investing, I felt uh, financially free. I've, I mean, like I felt, holy shnikes, my net worth this year, oh my gosh, that's in some of the years, my net worth would go up higher than, you know, many doctors and lawyers. Like I would always respect and think of that, like we'll say 250,000, 350,000 level. I just thought was insane. And then when I when my net worth was going up by that much, I was like, what the hell? This is nuts. Loved it. And uh, certainly I'm still growing. I'm still investing. I'm still growing this slowly. And, and so should you. That's one of the things that you should get from this. It's not a get rich quick overnight. One deal does it all. And so you want to make sure that you're keeping your integrity intact. So getting back on track after talking a little bit about the C class, D class, and F class neighborhoods that I'm really want to steer you completely away from. <laughs> There's this one pocket that is considered a D. At least the schools are D rated schools, and there's crime around there. Honestly, to be completely completely honest, on these two streets where I own these three properties, um, these three streets are there's no crime. There is just no crime at all. And I think it's just because so many of the people that live there have been there for like 30 or 35 years. We'll just say 20 to 40 years so that we can kind of box in almost everybody there. So this is pretty typical. They're all neighbors. There's really no empty houses. So there's hardly any squatters or anything like that, even though it's kind of like a rundownish neighborhood, older neighborhood in the Rust Belt. But the neighbors are just solid humans. And not to say that it, I'm not really personally a religious person. So, but I will say that a lot of times when I meet people that are quite religious and go to the same church or whatever, a lot of times they, they seem to really try to, to help out their neighbor. And that's what I'm trying to say is bunch of Christian families in that area. And maybe that's not part of it. I'm not trying to be religious for you on this podcast, but the point is, it seems like they all watch out for each other. It seems like they they care about their neighborhood. They care about their next door neighbor, regardless if it has anything to do with that. And 
they just watch out for each other. And so I'm really grateful, even though, <laughs> even though I lost a crazy amount of money in, in many of these like C-class, D-class, and F-class neighborhoods or schools, this one pocket, I've just been so blessed. I've been so lucky, so grateful. And that's one of the reasons why I was willing to buy out my business partners from it is because I see the value in, in these homes. So I sold one of them. So now it's down to two. And one of them, you know, has always been always been paid except for, I think she lost her job or something for a little bit. And so for a very short amount of time, she was behind, but my, my real estate property management company worked with her and got her back on track. And I met Mrs. Bishop, which is what this episode's a little bit about. I met Mrs. Bishop. This is another property. She's always been, you know, on time with her stuff. And I met her for the first time, probably back in 2000. No, I bought them in, I bought these in 2015. I, I recall I definitely bought them in, in 2015. But I met this, Mrs. Bishop in July of 16. She is one of the, like, she exudes goodness or when she was alive and well and, and I met her. She just exudes goodness. She cares about people. You like see her eyes. And you just know that she loves, she cares, she has joy, she has appreciation for the world. And she was, she was quite old. I mean, like no offense, right? But she was really getting up there in her years. And I had a feeling even back then in 2016, when I met her, I had a feeling that she was going to pass away while residing in our property. It turns out she did pass away just recently, and I believe it was in a hospital, not in the house, which is kind of a blessing. And her son was just so good. Her son paid her rent for the next couple of months, and so she, she's now completely out. Like As of the end of, it was like April, her things, her belongings are out. Her son paid the rent for the last you know two months and moved all of the things that were mattered to him and their family out of the house. And uh, in this episode, I'm just talking about things that can happen to some of your, I am like a one-track mind with podcasting, aren't I? With some of your real estate investments, some of the things that can happen. And one of them, if you own an apartment building, like a couple of years back in 2019, I was part owner into over 1,400 apartment units. Anything can happen. Murders can happen. Drugs can happen. Rape can happen. Death can happen. Fires can freaking happen. One, one property that we had under contract had, um, I'm trying to remember if it was two or three fires in a row. Whatever it was, it blew our mind. Three, like two or three fires in a row as we were trying to close on this thing. Break-ins can happen. Robberies can happen. We actually had a, uh, we had a property manager pass away once. That was crazy. So then my business partner had to fly out or drive out and become the property manager quickly. Because in this case, we were, quote, self-managing. 
an apartment, one of the apartments that we owned, we were what you call self-managing. And it doesn't technically mean we were the manager, but what it does mean is we didn't have a property management company that we hired as a whole company that managed it. Instead, we had our own company's employee being the property manager. And it was because it was a little bit smaller. This was a 83 unit. And so since it was a smaller property, 83 units in Branson, Missouri, we decided that it would be not cost-effective to hire a big company because it was hard to find them at the time. They wanted to take a larger portion of the rental deposits. And so anyway, we were managing it. And this woman that was our direct employee ended up passing away. So my business partner actually drove out there. I, was, I watched his cat and he became the residing property manager until he find the next person. Interestingly enough, there was a, the next one that replaced her and, and replaced him. She had disclosed that she was a drug addict, but in recovery. So she had um, done some drugs. I don't know what kind. My business partner was the one who managed it. And it was hard to find somebody. It was hard to find somebody. And he understood. He was really understanding about it. I think he had some experience or family members that, that, were, that had struggled with the same thing. And he wanted to definitely throw her a bone. So he did hire her and she was great for over a year. And then, you know what? She relapsed. She relapsed and became a horrible property manager, let in people who are doing drugs. And it's right by the Ozarks, which is so funny because my sweetheart and I, we watch Ozarks together. And we're like on the end of season four that uh, recently came back out. And I always think about the, because this is in Branson, Missouri, it's like basically the heart of the Ozarks. And anyway, the point is that this woman had uh, relapsed and I think she got on something crazy like meth or uh, just one of the ones that are just horrible for you. And just like, I guess, tweaking. <laughs> and it was just sad that, that it happened. But DJ, my, my business partner actually drove back out. I watched his cat again for months and months and months until he, he finally just came and picked him up. And we're about to sell that property for a win. We're about to sell that for, I think, like a million more than we bought it for or something like a decent, maybe it's a million and a half. But the point, the point is not to get hung up on details is anything can happen at your properties. So in this case, he became the acting property manager again. Luckily, he's single with just a dog and a cat. He took his dog out and I watched the cat. But anything can happen when you're real estate investing. And going back to this little portfolio that I bought from my, not these same business partners, I own lots of real estate with lots of people. <laughs> I've been, what's the word for it? When you, um, polyamory, polyamory, I've been not polygamy, maybe polygamy or polyamory, but the point is that I'm like agnostic toward one single partner. And so in my life, I've, uh, I've done lots of real estate deals and with different mixes and matches of business partners. And in this case, it's not the same partners that own large apartment buildings. Some of the apartments that I had ownership in, they're sold now. 
were like over 400 units. And some of the smaller ones were like 16 units with these partners. But the portfolio that I'm talking about with Mrs. Bishop is single family homes and with totally separate partners so that you're clear. I don't want you to be thinking of, of the, the same partnership. That's important to me that you understand it's a different partnership in case I share different details about different people that aren't going to add up if you think that they're all the same people because they're not. I'm agnostic toward the people. I'm polyamorous. I'm open-minded to, to different business partners, if that makes any sense to you at all. If I'm saying it right, there's got to be a term for it besides agnostic and polyamorous. It'd be like poly business partner. I don't know. who. doesn't matter. Let's get back on the point. So Mrs. Bishop, I'm, I, this is what's going on right now. This is where I am. And I, I hope you've got like lots of details of different things that you could learn through what can happen if you're owning different types of investments. This in particular is interesting because I had just replaced a roof of the other property where the other woman currently resides and lives. Mrs. Bishop, she's just like the goodness. And her son is was, was good. He moved out like most of the stuff for her. And then we hired, no, well, no, we didn't hire them. We invited a guy who has this business where he basically finds junk. He finds like rehabable things and he finds like classic things. Like what's the other word for classic? He finds um, things with history anyway. And I can't remember the term. You'll probably know it by just, you're like, oh, he means this. Um, anyway, these, these classic items, these uh, collector's items, these um, things with a lot of uh, historical value to them. And he sells them. So we didn't actually pay this guy, but we offered for him to go in. And he took like another 10 to 15% of the things that were in the house that he thought had had value for him to be able to sell on a secondhand market. And then now we're, we're um, put doing a, uh, maybe a small roll-off. And a roll-off, for those of you who don't know, if you're a fix and flipper, you absolutely know what a roll-off is. If you're a roofer, you absolutely know what a roll-off is. If you've ever rehabbed your own home, you likely do. Or if you've ever had to have a home that was a hoarder house. I've done a couple of hoarder houses myself. You're going to probably get a roll off. What it is, is this, it's a giant dumpster that basically, actually there's some wheels on it and semi truck will have this dumpster on the back of their truck and then they'll pull out in front of the house and then they'll, they'll literally raise up the bed. Like they'll dump, it's like a dump truck and then they'll roll slowly with kind of like with a winch. The, the winch is like a, uh, a cable, a very strong cable, and they'll winch it down slowly, uh, or they could use hydraulics, doesn't matter. But um, the ones that I've seen uh, will use either of those things or both, a combination of for the dump truck. Let, we're getting weeded, right? They'll roll it off and they'll leave it in front of the house. And then instead of you having to go to the dump lots of times, like, rent a dump truck, which is expensive, load the truck, take the time to drive all the way to the dump, dump it, and then drive back to the house again. And, and by the way, the payment that you have to do at the dump has been in, 
incredibly insane since around like I've been investing in real estate since 2005. And I will say that the cost of doing rehabs, if you're going to haul things, has been going up faster than, the, than inflation, quicker than inflation. The dump, the cost of the dump. You want to just take one mattress close to my house? It's like 30 bucks and that's all you have is just one mattress. You have just a carload of stuff. It's going to be 15 to $35. Um, it's nuts. It's nuts. And it didn't used to be like that. The dump was like, oh, here, give me like three bucks when I started investing in real estate. But it's grown. It's elevated, skyrocketed way faster than anything, any other part, even higher than gas, if you're asking, way faster than gas. Gas is only 5 x since I started investing in real estate. No, it's actually 3 x it's only 3x. Since I was driving, it's 5x. It's only 3x since I started investing in real estate. But with these roll-offs, they put them out and then it's easy because you just put all of the stuff in there. You save the time. You save a lot of money. To be honest, you, you save a ton of money. And then when you're ready, they'll leave it there for like a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months, depending on how long you need it there. And they'll even switch them out. Like when I was managing construction... I worked for a big company and we would do like multi-million dollar like siding and roofing. We would get these giant roll-offs and they would be able to come and switch them out for you. It's awesome. Anyway, we're going to have to get a roll-off for Mrs. Bishop's where she used to live. And so that's one part. And then we're going to have to pay for, because she lived there. She rented from that place. Now I've only owned that one for like seven years or something. And but she had lived there previous to that for 16 years before I ever had bought it. So she, she had been there like 25 years or whatever the math is, 23 years in total before she had passed away. And so because of that, there's a few other things we're going to have to do. Okay. We are going to have to do a little bit of flooring. We're going to have to do a little bit of the whole house is going to need to be repainted because it hasn't been painted in all that time. And so we're going to get the roll off, get haul out the stuff that the son did not get and that the person who sells things secondhand did not get. And then we'll put everything else in the roll off. Then we'll go ahead and do the flooring. Uh, we'll do the painting and the flooring. Here's the benefit that we have. This property was a Section 8 housing. If you don't know what Section 8 is, the brief of it is it's a government subsidized housing. And the second part that you need to know is that not all Section 8 is created equally. So Section 8 in, the, in this neighborhood is fairly good. Um, it's fairly easy to work with. And they always pay on time. And they try to pay at or below market. But no landlord these days in that area, because it's starting to be a little bit more up and coming, no landlord, even though it's a D-class school zone, it's like so easy to find Section 8 tenant there because of the way that the, how well they've put it all together. And it's so easy to get paid and it's easy now to get paid at or slightly above at at least at um, market values, the, the traditional market values. So right now there's a waiting list of 
houses that are approved by Section 8, and this one is already approved. And so it's a giant blessing and a benefit that with her not living there anymore, that the house is already ready for Section 8. It's going to be quite easy to replace. So my property management company, this is not a self-managed property. It used to be, but this is not a self-managed property. I have a professional property management company that lives out there that takes care of all this stuff. Unlike the 83-unit apartment building that I mentioned before, it's still self-managed. This one, I have a professional managing it because really it's something I want to be completely hands-off. I want passive income, right? I don't want to self-manage. I I don't want to have to fly out to um, the city frequently. I want it to all be taken care of. Well, these guys have great relationships. When I got the roof done it, it, on the other property, the, I got a great deal on it and they're going to get a good deal on the roll-off. They're going to get a good deal on the paint. I will have to pay a premium. Uh, so you understand. I don't remember. I think they take like a 10 or 15% like on top. It's basically for them managing the work with the different contractors for it. Perhaps we need to do a roof. Uh, perhaps we need to do some painting. Perhaps we need to do some electrical. Uh, perhaps we need to do some siding or something like that. Anything that needs to get done, they are, this property management company is going to help me to be able to do the minimum, to be able to have done the minimum amount that we need to do so that we can, um, we can still be pocketing money. And then they're going to fill it as quickly as possible. If they were lallygagging, or if I was managing it myself, not to my sweetheart's ex has got a few properties in another state. And he completely, as I understand it, he completely self-manages all of the roofing. He flies out there. It's not necessarily passive income in that, at that case, it's still residual income. It's still a good investment. It's just that the way that I'm, the way that I prefer it is I want it to be as passive, as truly passive as I can possibly get it. Um, I want it to be on autopilot. In some of his investments, I think that he obviously saved money by either, he obviously saved the cost of how much that thing could be if you paid a premium. However, in some cases, it will take longer to rehab a condo that I think he, he owned and to rehab a condo. It might take like several extra months because he, he might do it himself, right? It might take some extra time and, and some flight. You're by, it might have to pay for flights. And you think you're, you might be thinking, oh, I'm saving money. I'm saving you know like 30 bucks on this thing if I fly out there and do it myself. But like if you're flying out there, how much is your, um, how much is your uh, airline cost? How much is your hotel cost if you're staying at a hotel? So these are things to be factored in. And the one thing that I think of is like, what is my time worth? What is my own time worth? And to be honest, I value my time at several thousand dollars per hour. I know that's pompous and arrogant and Adam looks like an asshole now, but I'm just being honest. Like I value my time. If it's If I could get it done for just a couple of grand, and I don't have to do anything. I don't have to fly anywhere. I don't have to stay anywhere. I don't have to pay for a plane ticket. I don't have to pay for whatever. 
I would prefer to pay somebody else who knows how to do it. And that's their lane. And then I can stay in my lane. I can travel. I can play with my kids. I can ride my mountain bike. I can, I can focus on my company, you know, either buying more real estate investments and getting more passive, totally passive income or growing my company. My, uh, I kind of live like Robert Kiyosaki teaches. Make as much, think about the BI triangle, the E for employee, the S for self-employed, the B for a full business, and then the I for investor. And the, the employee is the worst one on there. No offense if you are an employee. That's, I'm not trying to put you down. And I don't think Robert Kiyosaki technically is either. He's just saying that, that it's the worst position to be in because you're trading time for dollars. And then the S is self-employed where you're still trading time for dollars, but you get a little bit of tax advantages and you get a little bit more time freedom in some cases. In other cases, you have less time freedom when you're self-employed. I, ha- I have a business, um, a business meaning I've got like 30 employees and they run most of the company. It's my podcasting company. Just like he used to have this giant wallet company that he that he had a long, long time ago for Velcro wallets. And he continues to have businesses where he doesn't necessarily have to show up, but he still can make you know lots of money per day. And that's where I am. That's where I've always stri- strived to be is in the B and the I. I want to have a business, not to be self-employed. I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be an engineer. I don't want to be a lawyer. You know, I don't want to be a consultant. I want my team to handle everything, run everything. I want salespeople, sales managers in a company. And then I want to pocket all of that extra money, any extra capital. I want to put it into investments and get into the I category. But I think it's beneficial to be both in the B and the I. Anyway, that small tangent, the point is with this property and me hiring a, uh, a company, a full-on company that manages the property by themselves, and they don't really need me for almost much except for if there's a capital call for that roof that I needed to do, need to put in a few, a few grand because there wasn't quite enough on its own. If there was a capital call, then, then they'll call me and I'll work for like five minutes. You know, I'll spend the time to just log into the portal, uh, put in 3,500 and log out of the portal. And that's how much work that I have to do to be able to collect pretty regularly money. Same thing here. This is me trying to make my investments more hands-off, more passive. And there's a thought process of what is it costing you for your time? What is it costing you for your energy? What is it costing you for each and every one of these things? So with Mrs. Bishop and um, her passing away and us kind of rehabbing this, I just want to let you know like some estimated numbers. My uh, property management company, they don't have all of the numbers quite yet, but they're thinking that it's probably going to be around three to 4,000 which um, I am confident there's going to be a change order. I don't know if you know what a change order is. It's like when they, they, they bait and switch you. <laughs> it's, it's basically when they assume that it's going to be X, Y, Z. They assume it's going to be this low cost because that's all they can see. But as they go and paint it, as they go and change the flooring, as they go and maybe do a little bit of electrical, they might find what's called a rabbit hole. 
they might find and uncover some more problems underneath the problems. And so I'm getting prepared. I'm fully aware of that. Am I going to fly out and do all this shiz myself? No, I'm not. I, it's not a good use of my time. If I value my own time as thousands an hour, not even like 10 bucks an hour, not even 20 bucks an hour, not even 250 an hour. Like if I'm going to go out there, I, and if I'm going to go out there for like three days, I need, I need to be able to at least save myself like $20,000 to take that time away from my, my business, my kids, my mountain bike, any travels, any fun travels that I would have, right? That's just how I think. And, and I want you to kind of process these things of what can happen at your property, whether it's single family, a multifamily, an apartment building, shootings, guns. I want you to also take away, am I going to be in an A class, a B class, a C class, a D class, or an F class? Okay. A total failure. And I want you to be thinking also like, should, should I manage it myself? Should I hire somebody? What should I be thinking? I also want you to know, you know, that you're going to have to deal with things like roofs getting replaced and and tenants passing away and and tenants leaving the country, maybe even being deported. It depends on, you know, that's happened to a few of my friends. Their tenant got deported either because they were illegal or because something uh, had expired or because in their other country, they had broken the law or something like this can happen. And, and it's like, what do you do in this case? Like you had a tenant that you maybe thought you vetted them well, and now they're, they're gone. And it's like, what kind of recourse do you have? So you want to think through some of these things and how you're going to work on your own real estate if you're going to be more like my sweetheart's ex, he's a great guy, an amazing guy, somebody I absolutely respect. And so absolutely no uh, judgment toward uh, maybe if he's doing some of the work on his own or taking uh, months to do something or days to do something. I'm the type of person I want it done in days because the revenue that I get for my one tenant paying each month. I think that that has value. It's it's like in one case it might cost you 4 grand if you do it all on your own and it's like 4 months and 4 grand. You're like, "Oh, I saved so much money cuz 4 months and 4 grand." That's all. And if you would have gotten somebody else to be doing it, it would have cost you 7 grand. And you're like, "That's almost twice as much." And you'll think to yourself, "Man, I saved half the expense." But you're not counting in maybe your flight. You're maybe not counting in your hotel. You're maybe not counting in that you're losing revenue for four months on that property. And if you're losing revenue for four months and the rent is, let's call it a thousand, that's a, a modest number, that you're losing four grand there, you're actually in a worse off financial position and probably, I think, stressing yourself out a little bit. And I think probably not being able to stay in your own lane of like what uh, kind of money you could be making in your other job if you've got a business or if you're employed or self-employed or an investor. These are considerations. And I hope this podcast, although it was absolutely all over the place, I understand that, even though it had lots of little tangents, I hope this helps you kind of think through your process of how are you going to do your real estate business. 
I look forward to the next time I get to pour into you, whether it's short or long. I hope you got a lot of value, tangible value, even though this was all over the place. I'll see you soon. Until next time, think outside the box. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box. Think outside the box.